this is weird. He's trying it out. You get to tell me if you like it or not. We'll see how it goes. So last week in the sermon, uh, we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, you remember Paul is writing to the Christians there in Thessalonica uh, to answer some questions that they have about uh, their faith and their new faith. But before he does in this letter, he just gives them this warm greeting. That's what we talked about last week, where this greeting where he reminisces about their conversion and he describes what he has heard about them uh, since he left. And what he writes to them in this greeting might be described as a portrait of a vibrant church. And we highlighted, uh, or he highlighted back to them, their work produced by faith, their labor motivated by their love and their endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to it uh, after the game, of course. Uh, but um, we're going to continue in 1 Thessalonians uh, this uh, this week, chapter 2, which Lindsay just read for us. And, and in this section, Paul really describes his own ministry to them. His own ministry to them. Uh, likely, he is answering uh, some criticism of some who have come into the church or maybe come against the church since he, uh, since he left them. And, and, you know, this should not, um, oh, I should say that, but what he gives to us in his description of his own ministry might be described as the portrait of a vibrant ministry. Portrait of a vibrant ministry. So don't check out and think, well, uh, I need to work on my grocery list because, uh, because you think I'm not in ministry. Because uh, this should not be limited in our minds to someone who has a formal like vocational ministry like, like mine or a volunteer ministry even in the church or in the community like so many of you have. Uh, this is really, I think, about how Christians interact with the world around us. Because you have a ministry. Now, I do think that everyone should have some sort of uh, regular way that they are uh, helping to spread the kingdom of God or blessing God's people, something uh, like that. But your life in the world is a ministry. You are a testimony. You're a witness to Jesus's love and his grace. Now, if you happen to be here this morning, you think of yourself more as maybe considering Christ. You know, rather than committed to following. Let me just say honestly that I think that sometimes Christians are uh, rarely perfect reflections of the love and character and grace of Jesus. We kind of have a reputation that we are definitely works in progress. And sometimes our flaws do overshadow our love for God. And that just means that we need him all the more. It highlights how much we need him. And so for that really, that reason in particular, uh, how Christians interact with the world around them, uh, a world that is often hostile to Christian ideas, you know, how we interact with the world around us is a huge question for us all the time. Because as followers of Jesus, we literally have the greatest thing in the whole world. We have a relationship 
with the Savior of the world who walked this earth and died for our sins and rose from the dead to win for us eternal life. We have the joy of knowing his love and his grace today, right now. We have the comfort of resting in his goodness and his sovereignty when things aren't going the way that we would like them to go. We have his word, the very word of God to us about our need of him, our salvation in him, and our lives uh, that please him. We have the assurance of eternal life. We have the greatest thing in the world, and we want to share all of that with the world because what does our world need more than it needs Jesus? Peace? He is the prince of peace. Love? He is the author of love or forgiveness. His grace knows no bounds. We have the thing that the world needs. And we don't want anyone to get offended or think we're weird. And we don't want to get in trouble or canceled. And they're our family or our coworkers or our neighbors. And each of those relationships gets complicated when you start bringing up religion. Kind of like it does when you bring up politics or Taylor Swift. And I'm not, I'm not really making fun of us. I mean, I, most of us, I think, know this tension. I certainly do. We want to share Jesus in some way, but we often shrink because it is a lot easier to keep our heads down. Now, if we don't know this tension, maybe we're not even thinking about the fact that everyone needs Jesus. You have never met anyone who doesn't need Jesus. Now, you've probably met a lot of people who don't want Jesus or don't think they need Jesus, but they do. And if you've got Jesus, then you've got what they need. But a lot of times, we don't really know what to do with that. So how do we, as Christians, live faithfully in the world around us? How do we make an impact without being weird? I don't know. But I do think that St. Paul gives us a good starting place as he describes his own ministry uh, among the Thessalonians, a portrait of a vibrant ministry. And as I often do, I'll highlight uh, three points that I see in the text. First is Paul's integrity. Paul's integrity. Now, it might sound to, to our ears a little bit bold for Paul to outline his own sterling character, right? Like I said, he's, he's probably answering some reported criticism that some had come in uh, to the church against the church against their faith and tried to discourage their faith by saying that Paul and his companions had selfish motives ulterior motives of some kind no says Paul to the Thessalonians no remember what you experienced with us our exhortation did not come from error or impurity or in any intent to deceive you, we never uh, use flattering speech to get on your good side. We never had greedy motives. We didn't seek glory from people. I mean, how refreshing would it be to have leaders 
who fit that description. In fact, he says, we work night and day to make enough money so that we would not be a burden to you. He even says, you're witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly and righteously and blamelessly we conducted ourselves among you. Paul was a man of Christian integrity. His outward life was consistent with his inward faith. Because how could Paul expect that a world would take seriously the gospel of Jesus Christ that he proclaimed if his own life wasn't in order? If his emotions were not in check? If his words were uh, filled with gossip? If his morals were ambiguous or inconsistent? Paul was a Christian man of Christian integrity. His faith spilled out of his life so that people could almost see this Jesus that he proclaimed. Now, he was not a Christian because of his integrity. His integrity didn't make him be a Christian. He would be the first to tell you that that he was saved by God's grace through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He was not saved by his good works. But Paul knew that the life he lived before others spoke volumes to them about the Savior that he trusted. In other words, he was a man of Christian integrity for the sake of their faith, not his own. And we live in such a me-first world that we typically think first, and sometimes only, about how our actions affect or benefit us and not others. Not long ago, I received an email from a man who was angry about a decision that the standing committee had made. Now, the standing committee, if you don't know, is a committee with the diocese that I am on. Thirteen more days. And, um, and so I, he, he, I lit, read what he had to say. I wrote the man back. I offered him a solution. He wrote back to me and said, oh, no, no, that's not necessary. I just needed to vent. So he felt better. But we felt worse. He was concerned with how his actions affected him, but not with how they affected others. Now, I could say, what a jerk. I might have. But I bet you wouldn't have to look too deeply into my own life to see where I have done something very similar. What about you? Is your life illustration of the Savior that you trust and love? If not, or if not as much as you want, why not? Let me say, it's not easy. But it is important. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others' faith in Christ. As a Christian, St. Paul's interaction with the world began with his integrity. And so should ours. Number two, Paul held fast to the truth of the gospel. Paul held fast to the truth of the gospel. He says he was emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. If you were to go over to the book of Acts, uh, chapter 17, 
describes Paul's ministry. And, and it says in chapter 17 that Paul arrived in Thessalonica, and on three consecutive Sabbath days, he went to the local synagogue, and he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, so Bible open, scrolls, I guess, and it reasoned with them that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead, and specifically that Jesus was that Messiah. And so there were Jews and there were Greeks who, who were persuaded by Paul's preaching. And yet as the Jewish and civic leaders, the Jewish and the Greek uh, leaders, watched this and they saw people giving themselves and trusting themselves to faith in Paul's Christ, these leaders got in, in increasingly agitated. Uh, they felt like their own influence was slipping away such that there was finally a violent riot I personally am both inspired and convicted at Paul's boldness in the face, face of opposition. His unwillingness to compromise on the truth of the gospel, his commitment to the scriptures as God's very word, his boldness for Christ, his trust in the Lord's protection, his pastoral urgency that others should trust in Jesus Christ too. It's interesting, I think. Paul had just come to Thessalonica from Philippi, where he had been thrown in jail and beaten for preaching the gospel. And in fact, when he fled Thessalonica, he went to a town called Berea. He started preaching there, and the same thing happened, another wave of intense opposition. Paul continually faced opposition, but he never backed down. He never said, no, I'm just going to take, I'm going to take this town off. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my head down uh, for a little while. And it is so easy, I think, to play it safe and to skirt or to water it down, uh, to mind our own business. Why didn't Paul? Because he has the greatest thing in the whole world. And an urgency that they should have it too. And he was willing to endure opposition and suffering if it meant that some should turn to Christ. I wonder, what would our life, what would our ministry and our parish be like if we had Paul's courage and his conviction? So Paul interacted with the world around him with integrity and, and without compromising the truth of the gospel. But number three, Paul loved the people with whom uh, uh, he loved the people who were opposed to him, and and patiently so. I mean, because it's one thing to be uncompromising and come off like a self righteous jerk who's just willing to fight and seeking uh, validation and victory. We see people like that all the time, right? A lot of people are uncompromising, but it's another thing altogether to be uncompromising on the truth of the gospel and yet also to be patient loving and gentle and joyful. I think that's Paul's secret sauce. He never backed down on the truth of the gospel, but he always stood there with love for those to whom he was speaking. As he engaged the world around him with the truth of the gospel, a gospel uh, that many, even today, find terribly offensive. 
It's a gospel that begins with the fact that we are naturally and infinitely separated from the God who made us to love us because he's holy and we are not. It's a gospel that that says that we cannot be good enough to cross that gap, to cross that separation, but that that God in his infinite grace crossed it for us, uh, being born in Bethlehem by uh, fully God and fully man, dying uh, on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins, being raised uh, from the dead on the third day. It's a gospel which insists that this salvation is ours simply by faith, not by good works. And even in the face of angry opposition, whether it was for jealousy or doctrinal disagreement, Paul was uncompromising and gentle. He was bold and loving. He was truth-telling and tender. He says, remember, we were so gentle among you as a nurse who nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. Compare this to what we see today, whether it's in politics, whether it's inside the church, outside the church. Paul didn't argue from the sidelines. He didn't sling mud at his opponents, undermine their uh, authority or integrity. He didn't need to just vent. He engaged their life with his own life. Never watered down the message. He nevertheless cared for the whole person, not just for winning the argument. And I wonder if you can see that uh, just as Jesus exhorts, just as Jesus exhorts us in our gospel passage, that Paul was loving God with his whole self, heart, mind, and soul, trusting uncompromisingly in the truth of the gospel. And he was loving his neighbor as himself, gently, caringly, sharing his life and not just his doctrine. And I wonder if you can see further that Paul didn't just make this up or stumble across some sort of successful evangelism strategy. But he surely learned this from Jesus himself who was, of course, uncompromising in his own commitment to the truths of God and was the very embodiment of love to others, even paying the price of his own life so that we might live. Paul's life is a portrait of a vibrant ministry or a portrait of a Christian life well-lived in a non-Christian world. He lived with Christian integrity. He held fast to the truth of the gospel, he loved those around him. What does our world need more than it needs Jesus? You have a ministry. Your life is a testimony. What does it say to the world 